Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. Before I introduce our guest, I'd like to remind you to check out the Crime Cafe Story Collections, a box set and a short story anthology. They're on my website, debbiemack.com. Just click on the link, Crime Cafe, and you can get to the buy buttons there, as well as see our merchandise and other stuff that's cool. <laughs> and subscribe buttons, of course, to the podcast. Also, uh, get ready for our Patreon launch. I'm setting up an online community for supporters of the Crime Cafe. And there'll be great perks for anybody who contributes and exclusive content if you contribute at a certain level. So it's not a very high level either. So it's monthly contributions. And I would greatly appreciate your support for that when that comes out. I'll let you know. In any case, uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce my distinguished guest, oh, a, re a really great author who writes wonderful crime fiction, David Swinson. Hi. Hi, David. How's it going? Good. Good. Excellent. Um, great. Good. Uh, I met you online after reading The Second Girl. I, I found a review. I can't remember where it was, but um, it was somewhere or other a review popped up for The Second Girl, and I was just captivated by it. Not only because it was it's set in D.C., which is, you know, I live near D.C. Mm -hmm. um, arguably... Columbia is a suburb of DC. <laughs> Close to a fax station, so. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but it was just such a wonderful story with a great protagonist. Thank and you. now reading Crime Song, which is a stunning and wonderful follow-up. It's excellent, and um, I would like you to tell us more about Frank Marr and and the series and how and why you developed this character. Um, well, Frank Marr is, I think, you know, Second Girl was published in May of 2016. And then um, Crime Song, June of 2017. And then the, the third book is not coming out till February 2019. But prior to 2016, I mean, Frank Marr was in my head for, for seriously, for years. I mean, a long time. Um and I had written a couple other books prior to the second girl, and they they got you know rejected, and um, and they were police procedurals. And then I went back to Frank and and said, "Listen, I'm I'm just gonna have fun. I'm gonna do something that's so outside of me." And Frank Marr is totally outside of me. I mean, mm -hmm. um, in in certain ways, I'd love to be like him. In certain ways, I would not want to be like him at all because it you know. But nothing bothers him or affects him. I mean, as far as like his habit or and stuff like that, it's like he he's almost blind to to that kind of stuff. But I just sat down and had fun and and wrote it. And um, I, I always I when I gave it to my agent, I mean, with the other two books I had written, she goes, "Are you sure you're done?" <laughs> you know, and that's sort of like an indication. Well, maybe I better go. But on this one, she didn't say that. She just said, "This is this is good." And 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 um, she did not send it out wide. She only sent, I, I, 
wanted her to send it to an editor who had turned me down like two times, Josh Kendall at Little Brown and in Mulholland. And um, he ended up falling in love with it. And, um, but Frank, before Frank was a retired cop turned PI, he was an actual burglar, um, not not a cop, just a regular burglar. Um, they, they got involved in some, you know, um, PI work, but he was also a burglar, and that's what, you know, got him his money and stuff like that. But Frank Marr, I, I, he ended up changing, and um, I made him a, a retired cop. Hmm. Guy. Hmm. It also used to take place in 1999, because that's really when MS-13 was really active with trying to recruit young girls and stuff like that in high schools. And um, and I agreed with my editor. I mean, 1999, I, I wanted to really get away from all the social media, because I, I can't stand having to write about that stuff. And he said, does it have to be 1999? They go, no, not really. You know, So we changed it to, to present. And um, then I had to add social media stuff, obviously, because teenagers, you know, and social mm-hmm. media and us and <laughs> social media. Yes. Yeah, that technology really can kind of screw up a story sometimes or mm-hmm. enhance it, depending yeah. on what you're writing. Yeah. And it's almost funny. I mean, it's not almost funny. It's funny that, that, that it is so much a part of everything we do. If you have a book without it, it'd be weird. I mean, it's just want <laughs> to read a book with, without it that's done realistically. I mean, like, um, we're, I mean, I remember, I'm old enough that I'm, I'm, I used to use a map, you know, <laughs> or write down the directions in a notebook, you know, and, you know, now I'm so dependent on Google Maps and all that stuff. I, you know, I, I couldn't live without it, you know, and, and a lot of detectives too, and, you know, active working detectives. You know, I mean, the iPhone changed everything. The Samsung phone on crime scenes, crime scenes, and all that kind of stuff. They use, but that stuff becomes, you know, evidence. But they, they don't have to turn over their iPhone, but they have to transfer the information. But I mean, it, it changed everything, and in such a sh- short period of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you think about it. And, yeah, I know what you mean. Well. um, your series, where do you, what is the series arc that you picture for this? Uh... Well, the arc is, is Crime Song. It's a trilogy. So the, okay. the third book, um, which is done called Trigger, it, it will be out in February 2019, like I said. And it's um, it's the end of the Frank Marr trilogy. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the end of Frank Marr. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, but it, you know, um, the, the, obviously it's the end of his voice and, and stuff like that. But something happens in the third book where um, where the publisher liked it so much they gave me another three-book deal and they want me to pursue that. But it's not Frank Marr. It is Frank Marr with someone else, but it's uh, not a Frank Marr series like this is with his voice. Will Frank Marr appear in it? I guess is the question. Oh, it'll be a major part of it, but it won't be won't be a first person present tense or. Gotcha. I'm giving away too much. I mean, but it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's I, I'm excited about the third book, and I haven't been excited about a book. I was excited about the second girl. Mm-hmm. I haven't been excited about a, a book like that until the, this this book. 
So that's good or bad. I mean, you're a writer, so you know if you you don't want to, if you say your book get you like your book, then that means it's bad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if you hate your book, then that sometimes means it's really good. You know, I mean, I, you know, so I'm afraid to like it. I know how you feel. I mean, you don't want to raise your own expectations no. about it. Yeah. Or assume that because you like it, everybody else will, that sort of yeah. thing. Well, my publisher, they, they love it, you know, and they're outside of family, you know, so mm -hmm. that is important, you know. But, yeah, well, the critics, well, the fans, uh, you know, readers, new fans, you know, will it get a, a further reach? It's not like I even want to become like this writer that has, you know, like a million readers. I just want to be mm -hmm. able to make make the publisher money and obviously me make you know i have a, a pension so but i'd mm -hmm. still like to make a little money but i i, I just want a readership you know and exactly and continue to publish you know i love mulholland little brown i mean they're like a, a family and 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 every sense of the word they really are that's and fantastic so, so I, I want them to do well and <laughs> so i wanted them to keep keep me so you know that's great um, let's see. You also have a novel that I wanted to ask you about called A Detailed Man, mm -hmm. where the protagonist has Bell's palsy. Uh, tell us a little about that and what prompted you to write that story. That book took like 10 years to write because I, I was writing it while I was a, a working detective with DC police. And, um, it sort of came about where it's not me, but it is semi-autobiographical um, because I did have Bell's palsy in 2003 and my seventh cranial nerve is um, destroyed. I'm atrophied on this side of the face. I mean, 98, you can't really tell now, but if I smile or like if I do a, my, I, I do a half smile because I can't, this is frozen. Mm. But I wanted a guy that was just uh, sort of like, I mean, Bell's palsy, you, you get the droop. And I couldn't blink my eye for eight months. And, you know, you'd have to wear a patch when you sleep. And so I just like the idea of just something really simple that's not life-threatening, but it just sort of is disfiguring for a, a few months, you know, weeks or months. And um, and I created, a, you know, Ezra Simeon, you know. But, again, a lot of it, because a lot of my career was one detail after another until I – finally got assigned as a detective and once i had a, got assigned it's like you can finally kick your feet up and you know you know put your feet on the desk and because you know, it's your desk and you know but ezra was one detail after another and um i really expected more with that book and but I, i'm thankful for that little book with a really in now defunct publisher um because that was really the start for me because uh, a guy named Jacques Philippe, do you know Jacques? No, I don't know him. Ha House of Crime and Mystery. And, um, but he's also responsible for selling, you know, like a lot of my, I might my, have and, met him. Yeah. yeah. And Bausher Khan maybe, or, or he goes to a lot of those things. And, but um, he was doing this thing called um, uh, the Quebec uh, crime festival sort of like you know c3 and you know all those nice crime festivals and i mean laura Littman was there john Connolly, and mark billingham and you know owen laucanon and chris holm where it all started with me was chris holm and 
and Peggy Blair and Owen and all these people. And, um, and I was like the, the little rookie with this very independent book. And these guys were all like, you know, I mean, Laura Littman, I mean, come on. And, um, but that's really where it started for me. And I, I started feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm a writer. And, um, despite this little book, a detailed man. So that really set the tone for me. And also it was an experiment in first person, present tense, um, which, um, the second girl, I mean, Frank Marr, it's all first person, present tense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I owe a lot to Jacques in Quebec, you know, um, cause Chris Holm and, um, who is now a Mulholland author, um, you know, he was, I had a lot to do with like, you know, talking me up to the editor and stuff like that. Like he really should, you know, you know, check this guy out. So that, that made Josh, I think, read, read the book a little faster. And, um, it, it became a, that's, that was the start of the writing family, mm -hmm. a detailed man and, you know, all that. So I have no regrets. And, but that book, um, is like a galley. You know, it's, it's, it's not like a finished book. It's it's like I put a galley out there because hmm. I mean, it, it really was not copy edited well. Um, and I mean, I give a ton of credit to copy editors because they really clean stuff up. <laughs> and um, so there's a lot of mistakes in, in a detailed man, but it's still, you know, it's, I, 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 I can take it away and get it off, but I, I'll, I'll, I let it stay. Well, yeah. I think that's good. We all get our start somewhere, and yeah. uh, you got off to a good start, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, it, a detailed man was, you know, this, uh, a very, you know, very different book. It's very police procedural, and mm -hmm. um, you know, it's nothing like uh, Frank Moore. <laughs> but it tells you a lot about your background. Yeah, police life. Yeah, that kind of thing. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't want to, yeah. but there's an author, um, Kent Anderson, um, who's like, um, I mean, everyone, you know, it, I had the opportunity to read his galley, his new book called Green Sun. But he started um, with, um, in Vietnam, and he wrote Sympathy for the Devil, and we're talking in the, the 70s, and then he wrote... Um, Oh, gosh, I, I forget the title of the second one, but he became an Oakland police officer, a Portland police officer, then an Oakland police officer. And his stuff was very police procedural. And in today's market, back then in the 70s and 80s, would that get published? Not necessarily, but mm. wrote Green Sun. And Green Sun is very procedural, but it is so incredibly well written and beautiful, that, but total police procedure, you know, um, and and that's really what I wanted to do with a detailed man, but I, I not even close to being the writer that Ken Anderson is. Um, yeah, check that book out if you can. It's it. Green it, Sun. It was just released. Yeah. Huh. And um, check it out. Yeah, he's he's incredible. And if you can get him on your podcast, I mean, good luck. I mean, but he's like, <laughs> he's like some high and mighty big. He's very reclusive and wow. But he's an ex cop and you know all that kind of stuff. He's a really cool cool guy. Well, I think talking to police officers is, is a pretty cool thing to do these days, especially. I think police are human beings, and that's something yeah. that we need to remember. 
Some um, of them are. <laughs> some of them are better than others, I know. <laughs> some of them are worse than others. Yeah. That's true of everyone. Um, I'm interested also in your uh, background in, in film. You had started as a film major in college. Yeah, radio. Well, it was called then radio, television, film. I went to Cal State Long Beach, and I mean, there was USC, NYC, um, UCLA, and then Cal State Long Beach had a really good film department too. That's where um, Spielberg went first, and then he ended up going to USC. And uh, and the Hughes brothers, a lot of people came out of there. But I picked Cal State Long Beach because my mother lived in Seal Beach, and I had free rent, and I could. I was a block from the beach. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, see, of course, I'm, I'm going to take CSULB. But um, I didn't really fall into film right away. I always thought I would be a screenwriter. and uh, But uh, a, a, a relationship that uh, was like sort of a wonderfully bad relationship in California with the um, – I was introduced into alternative music and punk rock, and so I took a different course. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, tell us tell us about your dealings with alternative music and punk rock. You got to meet uh, Timothy Leary and Hunter Thompson. Yeah, well, I mean that that came that was years later. I mean, it started with a record store on Main Street in Seal Beach, mm-hmm. and um, kids. Um, in Orange County and Seal Beach and Long Beach really had nowhere to go, you know? So I'd have some in-store signings like with um, popular punk bands and alternative bands in the time that would come by and they would flood conservative Main Street, <laughs> Seal Beach, you know, with punk rockers. And we, we got, we, we closed down, but it turned into, um, I, I found a couple of venues. I found a, one that held 1,500 people. Then, and then I found the, the, the great venue, Bogarts, which is sort of the equivalent of like in DC, the 930 Club or something like that. And that's where it all started because um, I was given, you know, six days a week where I was the booking agent promoter. And we booked everyone from Social Distortion to the Red Hot Chili Peppers to, you know, um, major punk acts to, to Devo, you know, uh-huh. and, but then Robin Trower and BB King. And I mean, so it wasn't just punk alternative, it became something different, but Wednesday was always a dead night, you know, and it was a very difficult night. So I came up with the idea of like an evening of conversation. And I had met this guy who's to this day, he's my friend, Bill Stanky, um, who was with Westport entertainment. And he handled a lot of the tours and stuff for people like, um, Timothy Leary, Hunter S Thompson, and a lot of other people, Abby Hoffman, people like that. And I thought, what about an evening of conversation with, and, and, um, I think the first one I don't remember may have been Jim Carroll, Carroll, who wrote the basketball diaries. Um, but then it was Henry Rollins, Jello Biafra, the dead Kennedys. And, and Timothy Leary several times, and then Timothy Leary paired up with uh, G. Gordon Liddy. And if oh you G. Gordon Liddy, the FBI was the one that arrested Timothy Leary, and pairing the two of them up ended up becoming a, a national tour, not by me, um, but by them. But it was so popular, I guess, at, at Bogarts. And, and, uh, but, but Bill Stanky was responsible for a lot of this. And then there was Hunter Thompson. 
I, I remember reading Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and then I called Bill and I say, um, do you think I can get Hunter for a show? And he just like over the phone goes, David, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, why? You know? And ended up becoming a Fear and Loathing in Long, Long Beach with I can say that honestly. Um, what was Hunter Thompson like? He was um, um, when I first I, I met him at the airport, and I I, I rented a a red convertible like the Shark in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and he's unmistakable when he walks out. I mean, you know, sorry, <laughs> aviator glasses, and then he has has that um that hat he looks like johnny depp <laughs> yeah. depp did a good job i he had, did a fantastic I had job. With, with layla nabulsi who um was hunter's girlfriend and she had the rights to fear and loathing in las vegas and we were trying to get that film made for like two years and wow. i i ended up going into the police academy and she finally got it made with um johnny depp but it was her book and but i was just trying to help her because i had done a, an, another little movie prior to that but i mean when Hunter gets off the plane, it's like the first thing he goes is, well, what about bar? The only thing I could understand was bar. <laughs> you know? Okay, I think he wants a drink. I could not understand a word he was saying. It was like a different, <laughs> like, uh, not language, but just like a, a, an incredible accent. But it was an accent fueled by by drugs and a lot of alcohol. <laughs> so... I'll cut the story really short because it ends up he had a show at Bogart's, two sold out shows. In the eighties, twenty five dollars a ticket is a lot of money because I was doing like punk rock shows and all that for five bucks, five mm-hmm. bucks for four bands. And Hunter Thompson sold out two shows, twenty five dollars a ticket. Yeah, and three and a half hours late. Oh yeah, <laughs> because he wanted to go bar hopping and see basketball that was playing college basketball. And, um, and, uh, but that was, a, I mean, it ended up becoming uh, over the course of a few years, you know, you, 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 if you just compress that into a time, the amount of time I've known Hunter is, is just several hours. I mean, or, you know, a day, full day. Um, but he so influenced my life over the course of that time, you know, um, and I, I think that's just because he, that, and that's how I saw Frank Marr a, a lot too, is because he just, re, he had this lifestyle and he didn't make excuses for it. And and I don't, I don't agree, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, cocaine is a, a terrible thing and, mm-hmm. you know, but that's why I chose cocaine for Frank is because it's not like heroin and crack. It's a substance where you can get off of easier, but, um, it still doesn't make it good, but Hunter was um, just a man that got caught up in this image that became Hunter S. Thompson. That I think that he had to live up to that image, you know. And mm-hmm. that image was drugs and alcohol, and and I often wonder, like, if he were alive today, you know, with all this, you know, President yeah. Trump stuff and what he'd be writing, you know. Because you know, know. loathing on the campaign trail and I know all this stuff. My gosh, we could use some Gonzo right now. Gonzo, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, again, he was not like. 
a friend or anything, but he was like, um, he, throughout the years, he knew me, I knew him and it's just, but his, cause I always wanted to be a writer. And, um, despite all his, um, failings, um, you know, with, with drugs and stuff like that, he, he was, a, a an incredible mind, you know, an incredible yes. writer. And some of the stuff he said was incredible and, and, and ended up, um, turning into, a. We got a, a deal. Bill Stanky and I got a deal with Atlantic Records to do something called Sound Bites from the Counterculture. And it was Hunter Thompson, Jella Biafra, uh, Timothy Leary, Eugene McCarthy, all these um, speakers, Abby Hoffman, and it had to do with censorship at the time because that's when NWA came out and Tipper Gore was, um, you know, just really anti. NWA and all that, you know, that rap and all that kind of stuff. So we put out a, a record with with these with these guys that um, was just about you know censorship and um, and then that turned into to film. Mm-hmm. And Timothy Leary, obviously, Timothy Leary was on that. Timothy Leary did become a friend. You know, mm-hmm. you know but that's interesting. A, yeah. <laughs> you could write a whole book about that. Well. It's fascinating stuff. I mean, um, I'm not ready. I think when I know I, when I'm not to the point where I'm counting the years in my life, mm-hmm. you know, but when I get to the point where I'm counting the months in my life, <laughs> that <laughs> it, it could be the eighties or I'm hoping or like my dad, the nineties. Um, that's when I think I, I could write something, you know, but I, I'm afraid to write it because I don't know if I'm good enough to write something like that. Um, oh, have some faith in yourself. Well, really good. I mean, you know, as writers, you, I mean, you have to, you, you know, I mean, it's just like, um, it, it, there's a, a fine line, you know, with, with all the people I've met and the, the, the life I've gone through with these people, I don't want to like brag. And I mean, but these people are, I've met have, have had such an influence on my life and it's not, like so I, I want it to, to would want it to be natural and something cool and just not absolutely. Oh, I know this, but you know, and, and you know, no, yeah, absolutely. You know, so just the experience of it, just having lived through it, would be something that would be fascinating. Well, to I didn't really. About. I mean, okay, I, I went through it, but I didn't live that. No, <laughs> you know, no, like no. Some of these guys living through uh, knowing certain people, yeah. it kind yeah. of shows people, I think, something about the effect other people can have on your life. Yeah, and your own writing. I yeah. mean, I can see glimpses of that Hunter Thompson approach in uh, Frank Marr. Oh gosh, thank you. That's a huge. I mean, I mean really grapefruit there. is a tribute to to, to, to Hunter. Yeah, yeah. We've been citrus and grapefruit. That which actually isn't really true because it counters some, you know, prescriptions you take and medications you take, and it actually hurts and doesn't help. Huh. Um, but th- that's a tribute to him. There are several other tributes to, to Hunter and, and Tim in it. Um, and there's something about the uh, the single-mindedness with which he pursues this cocaine. It's like, yeah, and, and the scattered way he thinks. It's kind of like, like yeah. these short, oh, you know, sentences kind of, you know, sort of underscore the... And that's what Hunter was like, but in, in some uh-huh. of the... 
Now, I'm not saying Frank had those moments. Of, Frank did not have those moments of brilliance. But like Hunter, when he would speak, and it would be two hours on stage and he'd speak, mm -hmm. there would be those like little fragments of sentences. Fragments. But like exactly. one sentence out of every 10 that is like, whoa, you know, that, that's mm -hmm. incredibly brilliant, you know? Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, his mind was was like that, and I don't claim to know. I mean, there's people that you know know him like incredibly well. I'm just talking about my short time knowing him. But in that short time, again, how that short time seriously influenced me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just reading his work was always inspiring to me. Yeah. But knowing him, that's that's really cool. Well, meeting the man is, you know, there's a lot of authors out there right now several of them dead you know but uh that i would die to meet you know i'd you know um in the afterlife i'd love to meet him but um hunter i, I was happy to have met him yeah yeah okay well um i'm gonna have to uh, wrap up here but uh is there anything you'd like to say before we finish up um no i mean if you're going to read anything of mine, if you haven't read anything, I mean, start with a second girl. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, then go from there. I mean, there's only th three books. And then, like I said, the third one will be out in 2019. And I just, I really appreciate Debbie this, uh, you know, and, and you, you didn't mention, but we ended up meeting in person. Was it the first time three. at three? It was at C3. Yes. Yeah. A conference. And your husband, who's a ex firefighter, so there was that like that bond. That you know? was cool. That was totally cool. Yeah. Listening uh, to you guys, no, I really appreciate this. Yeah, and the, the the support of all this, you know, this this family, this crime fiction family, which is like unlike any other writers, I think. Well, I could I agree with you. It's it's a wonderful uh, family to be a part of, mm -hmm. and I'm so glad you could be here today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Uh, Okay, so uh, having said that, I will just add for again that uh, I would like you, I would love it if you would check out the Crime Cafe uh, links on my website. There's still, um, hmm? uh, there's still a couple of Second Girl books left to give away on, on your oh, website. Oh, okay. Well, be sure and um, email David about that if you're yeah, interested. Yeah, in my email's on your um. I it's, think it's on your site, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's in my original post. I'll send that around okay. again as far as putting it up on social media and maybe tweeting it a few times. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're listening, uh, please, please do enter the, the giveaway. I'll extend the, the date, that whatever date I had on there as the, the final day for entering. Um, we can say, what day is it now? The 16th? 16th. Let's. You want to make it the twentieth? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll have the uh, the video up by then. Okay. Um, we can even make it the twenty third if you want to do it after the twentieth uh... is fine. I, you know. Okay, the twentieth then. Okay. So well, if if you're watching the video, uh, please um, get that entry into David and. Uh, also, check out the Crime Cafe publications, the uh, short story anthology and box set, which are the links to which are on my website at debbiemack.com. And with that, I will just say 
Thanks for listening. This is the final episode of this season, but we will be back in July. And uh, happy reading until then. Thank you.